chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, the verses today are going to be verses 19 to 23. And I know that looks a little strange when you look at your Bible. It looks like we're leaving off a verse, which we are, on purpose. We're saving that for next time. I think it goes better with the next week's lessons. So 19 to 23 in 1 John chapter 3. If you've been with us for many weeks, actually many months now, we've been going through the book of 1 John, and we've titled the lesson, or the series, excuse me, For His Glory and For Our Benefit. In every one of these lessons, we find something that glorifies God's great name, and we will once again, and we all find, also find something that benefits our soul, which we will once again. It's how God's word is set up. So 1 John chapter 3, the title of our lesson today is going to be called The Gift of a Reassured Heart. The Gift of a Reassured Heart. Unfortunately, I do not have an icebreaker this morning. I have three icebreakers. <laughs> and sometimes when I'm filling out these little icebreakers, um, I end up filling out two of them and scratching it because I don't really like it. And then I try another one and then scratch it and don't really like it. And then I, I ended up with three. That's just how it happened this week. So I'm going to give you the option. I'm going to give you the option. Which icebreaker you want to hear okay and i'll do this with raised hands you guys can have input into the icebreaker today number one is how to know you're out of shape maybe not how to know you're in a north country church or we could do what we did last week and i can give you more movies based on the north country okay that's an offer open your bibles what's that Number two, how to know you're in a North Country church? All right, let's do this. How do you know? Because I didn't grow up in the North Country. I didn't serve in the North Country until recently. And I've had to learn a few things being in the North Country. Here's number one, how you know you're in a North Country church. You find waiters when cleaning out the closets. <laughs> Actually happened this past week. Went to clean out the closets. We found normal church stuff and waiters. Why are there waiters? We don't know, but there are waiters because it's a North Country church. Number two, there's at least three people in the church that still don't have email. <laughs> Email's been out a while, people. I'm not looking at anybody specifically, although I kind of am. That's how you know you're in the North Country. Number three, the retired members in the church look younger than most 40-year-olds. <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. You look younger than me, and I don't like that. Number four way you know you're in a North Country church is the church is more concerned over 80 degree temperatures than three feet of snow. <laughs> three feet of snow, we got that. We can solve that. 80 degrees, get the fans out. We're freaking out. Number five way you know you're in a North Country church is your pastor's office is moose-themed. Now that was not on purpose, people. Because of all the moose jokes, you guys have littered my office with moose stuff and now I have a theme. But that makes sense in the North Country. How about this? Number six, Black Friday is trying to race your other church members to the annual boot sale at Genfoot. Yeah. <laughs> I will beat you this year. I will. You guys got a head start last year. All the boots were gone. Not this year. I have eight kids. Those kids need boots. So let me go before you. Uh, number seven way you know you're in a North Country church is your pastor uses more than three mountain climbing illustrations a month. <laughs> I do. I do. Because I'm in the North Country now. Number eight is they refer to Massachusetts as the Deep South. <laughs> you know there's states below Massachusetts, right? Now, this one's not going to be as funny because he's not here. But number nine way you know you're in a North Country church is your security chief looks like he's a mix between a peace-loving hippie and a war machine. <laughs> Where is that security chief? We love him. Joel, we love you. You know that. We miss you wherever you are. And number 10, you can get to Canada sooner than you can get to a mall. In fact, you take a wrong turn on the road or on a hiking path, you'll get to Canada, whether you want to be or not. Maybe we'll save those other two uh, icebreakers for another time. But we are in 1 John, and we want to continue this series in 1 John chapter 3, because we want to describe something, define something that every Christian should be characterized by, and it is a reassured heart. If you have your Bibles, I've encouraged you to read the book of 1 John once a week, and I still encourage you to do that. That is a good practice. I know it's going to be beneficial for you because it has been beneficial for me. Please continue to read 1 John once a week as a practice if you're able to. Let's read our passage together. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. John says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. 
For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That's our text today. I've encouraged you to do something as well along the way when you're studying a book is always remember what you just read. When you're reading something in God's word, keep it in context as much as possible because it's going to support what John is telling us today. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that a couple times today is go back a little bit and remind ourselves what John has just told us because last week's lesson was on a two-way street. And this is what John told us last time we met. He says, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's going to help us understand what John is telling us today. Excuse me there. We have a three-point outline. If you have your notes, you can follow along. Number one is the author of reassurance. Number two, the reward of reassurance. And number three, the product of reassurance. It's all about reassurance today, and I know that's going to be a blessing to your soul because we all desperately need that. Let's start with number one. Who is the author of reassurance? It won't surprise you. Who is that going to be? The Lord Jesus Christ. John says in verse 19, by this. Now, this is why it's important to keep it in context. Because if you don't know what he just said, this could basically, you could make this say almost anything. But we need to understand what John just told us because this is the context. Love. This is what John has been talking about. This is what he's going to continue talking about when we get into chapter 4. By this, by the understanding that God has loved us by sending his son and by the fact that we are called to love our brothers. By this, we shall know for certain that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him now that term reassure i know you've heard it before it's not a term i end up using all the time so let's define it just to make sure we know we're on the same page i looked up the word reassured it says say or do something to remove doubts or fears of someone isn't that beautiful isn't that beautiful that god wants you to have that wants me to have that he wants us to have reassurance he wants our doubts and fears to be gone I love that about my God. Even though he is a God to be feared, we just studied that, or we just looked at that when the scripture reading, God is to be feared, but he, his fear is not his end game. Fear is not God's end game. As we're going to learn today, confidence and courage are God's end game. So he needs for us to be reassured. You ever had to validate yourself for some reason? You remember those days? Do they still do this? You go to a parking garage somewhere and you have to get one of those little tickets and one of those parking tickets, and then you can go into the hospital or wherever you are, and they'll end up validating that ticket to let you know that, yes, you did come to the hospital, you are parking there for a reason, and you can get a little bit of a discount. Uh, or you go to an amusement park, and sometimes they'll stamp your hand so that when you enter and leave uh, that amusement park, you can validate that you have paid your ticket and then let you back in. Sometimes we have to validate things. Well, I have a fa I'm a father of eight children, and when we go into the hospital to have one of those children, it's a good practice of the hospital that they don't just give you children that you claim are yours, right? <laughs> now, I have eight beautiful children, wonderful family here that God has blessed me with. But every time we go to the hospital to have one of our children, we have to have one of these bracelets, right? Even the dads do, maybe especially the dads. Because you have to validate that the child that is yours is actually yours. And so what they'll do is they'll put a bracelet on my wrist, on my wife's wrist, they'll put one on the baby's wrist. And they'll actually validate that the child and parent go together. So they don't just go based on your word. Isn't that a good thing for a hospital to do? Saying, yes, just take my word. This is my child. They need validation. Well, it's good for us to have validations in life. And John's going to help us with this validation because he says this. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. Do you think that's important? To be on the team of truth? I think the whole world would say that's important. I don't think that's just a Christian thing. I think most people want to believe that they're right. And I don't mean right politically, I mean correct. 
Everyone wants to know, wants to believe that their team is the truth team. And yes, teams light up against each other because they say, no, we're truth. And then the one says, no, you're wrong. We're truth. But how do you know? How can you validate that your team is actually team truth and you're on the right team? I think that's an important thing to understand. I would say the world ends up looking like this a lot. They do their best, but at the end of the day, they're guessing. They're perplexed. They don't know which way is up. They don't know which way is truth. They're trying their best. They're putting the dots together themselves. But at the end of the day, they're not confident in the fact that they actually are with team truth. And I know what that's like. I've been there myself. It's a, that's a very perplexing period to be in. Well, you would say that definitely happens in the world, but it certainly doesn't happen in Christian circles, right? Christians never struggle with doubts, right? Never. No, that's not true because... With just a cursory glance on the internet, I was able to find this question over and over and over. How can I really know that I'm a Christian? And these are Christians asking this question. How can I know? Has anyone else asked that question before? How can you know you're actually a Christian? I'm going to put my hand up because I did for a long, long time. I claimed I was a Christian since age five, but I entered severe doubts in my teenage and early 20s where I didn't know. I wasn't certain. I was rolling the dice, if you will, saying, I believe I'm a Christian, but at the end of the day, we'll see. I don't think that's good enough. John doesn't think that's good enough, and more, more importantly, God doesn't think that's good enough. He doesn't want us rolling the dice. He doesn't want us rounding up. He doesn't want us lumping ourselves with our church, going, they're good, therefore, I'm good because I go together with them. He wants us to know and have reassurance that we, individually and corporately, belong to God. Remember this slogan from Blockbuster? When Blockbuster was a thing and DVDs weren't a thing yet, uh, they encouraged you to rewind your tapes before you bring them in. It was always fun to break that little rule. Uh, not that I did. But let's do that right now. Let's rewind because I told you that's going to help us today. That's going to help us understand what John is trying to, to, to give us with this reassurance. Because he says this, by this we know love. The world claims they know love. Everyone claims to know love. But how do we actually know love? Well, John helped us with that. He said, because he laid down his life for us. God gave his son, sent Jesus to this earth so that we would find salvation and reconciliation and new birth with God. And we know that and we agree with that as Christians. But that still doesn't help us with the doubts. We can all claim that we believe that is true, but we still have doubts whether we know it's for us. Have, have I received it? Have I, do I have it in my own soul? But John goes further and he says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And I think that's very profound. Because I think the bottom line of what he's going to tell us here by showing us how to love is by telling us this. If you can love like Christ, there's only one conclusion. You belong to Christ. No one would desire that. No one would know how to do that. No one would have the power to do that unless they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, it's fantastic, it's beautiful, it's important, it's foundational that Jesus died for us. But many people, I would even say most people in this country claim to be Christians. Did you know that? Two-thirds. At least two-thirds of the people in our country claim that they are Christians. But how do you validate that you actually are? And John says, if you can love the brothers like Jesus loved you, that is your validation. He's not saying that's your salvation, because your salvation is free, simply by trusting in Jesus. But how do you know that you have salvation is because you can do that. And that, I think that's beautiful, that we can test this, we can validate this before Judgment Day. We don't have to roll the dice. Can I love? Do I love? Do I want to love? When I see needs of those in my church body, do I desire to meet those needs? Because he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk. That's not enough, but in deed and in truth. That is our validation that we belong to Jesus Christ. Can we love, do we love, as a practice and theme of our life? So yes, we need to believe in that. We need to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That is paramount, that is foundational. There is no step two until we understand, number one, that Jesus Christ is the Savior. But John told us it's a two-way street. You need to believe and then you need to act upon that belief that you know Jesus loves you because you will love those who are in need as well. And John is not telling us, listen, it's, it's all about works here. He's helping us validate this. He's helping us have that reassurance in our soul that we belong to God, that when it comes to Judgment Day, Jesus is going to say, I know them and they know me. So he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Team Jesus, team truth, and reassure our heart before him. 
Because where does reassurance come from? Where does it come from? It can only come from one source, isn't that correct? It can only come from the one who is truth. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The only one who can grant us that reassurance and let us know that we are on the winning team is the one who is captain of that winning team. He's the only one who can validate it. Jesus Christ himself directly is the only one who can validate that we actually belong to him. So the reassurance comes directly from the Lord. We don't need it from each other. We need it from someone much greater than that. And so Jesus Christ wants us to know that, that we find a reassurance from him and him alone. He is the author of reassurance. And I believe I was stumbling around in my early 20s trying to find that reassurance from a whole bunch of different places, hoping my parents could give it to me or my friends could give it to me or my church could give it to me, when in all reality I needed to go to the one who owns reassurance, the one who authored reassurance. The only one who could give it to me is the one who knows my heart, knows my soul, has died for my sins. And so John says we need to go to the source. Let's talk about the reward of reassurance because he brings that up as well. He says in verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us. Now notice he doesn't say if ever. That's an important distinction there. I believe John is maybe even saying, I too have been there. Whenever our heart condemns us, John's going, I've, I've been there. I've, I've had my heart condemn us. And the word condemn really means to tell you you're guilty. Has your heart ever told you you're guilty? Your own mind, your own heart said, you're not in a good place. You're in trouble. You're probably not a Christian. You're probably not on God's team. I've had that happen many times. So John says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that's not the bottom line? That if your heart condemns us, you're in trouble? God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He doesn't know part of the story. He doesn't know most of the story. He knows the entire story. So again, our reassurance must not come from our heart. It must come from God himself. And this happens. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, our heart loves to tell us that we are guilty. Loves to show us how bad things are. I don't know if it's pessimism or, or whatever the world wants to call it. The glass is half empty. But we generally will enter some dark times in our Christian journey where we honestly might not even know, do we belong to Christ? Am I his? Is he mine? And it's a great place of despair. And I think many or most or all Christians have faced this guilt from their own heart. We also have been reminded from the scriptures in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now the heart can tell you you're guilty. The heart can also flatter you, can't it? Sometimes the heart can go, you're wicked, you're cruel, you're nothing, you're, you're going to hell, just give up. Sometimes your heart can say the opposite. You're fine, don't even look at it. You're fantastic. You're, maybe you don't even sin. And the scriptures come alongside of it and say, listen, your heart is not always trustworthy. Sometimes it can let you down. And that's sad to know that sometimes your heart can let you down, can tell you the wrong message because it can be influenced by the wrong messenger, which John's going to bring up in 1 John chapter 4. But we can also be condemned by the world, right? Sometimes the world likes to condemn all Christians with these big, broad, sweeping declarations that Christians are hypocrites. They say one thing, they do another, so all Christians must be hypocrites. Therefore, they have nothing more than we do. Therefore, they're just as guilty. They're just as unclean. They have no hope, just like the rest of us. And the world loves to condemn Christians. And just look around the media, and you'll see that very, very easily. There's also someone who else who likes to condemn us. Because we read in Revelation chapter 12, when we're seeing the prophecy of the end play out, in verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, who is that? Satan. Has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Isn't that interesting to know that the devil loves to accuse us and condemn us before God? Saying certainly Todd couldn't be one of yours. I mean, look, look at what he does, does. Look at what he said. Look at how many times he slipped in this past week alone. Certainly, Todd is not one of yours. He's a false Christian. He's a false professor. He's a fraud as a pastor. The devil loves to say those kinds of things. So our heart can condemn us. The world does condemn us, and the devil 
loves to condemn us. So John is going to give us a little, we'll have a little teaser here for next week. Because he's going to tell us in chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, okay? Or every inward voice, every messenger that you receive from, from your own mind, from your own heart. Don't believe them all. But test the spirits to see whether they are from who? From God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We don't need our validation and our assurance from our own inward mind. We need it from God. We need to know it's from God directly. And so those messages that are being sent to our brain, into our heart, we have to test those. And we'll flesh that out more next week as we talk about how to do that. But John says we need to understand. We need our reassurance from God and God alone because it's a gift. It's a reward to have that reassurance. Now we look at this phrase. And it says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And I've read that many, many times. And I've honestly flipped back and forth on my understanding of that verse. Because it's a challenging way it's, it's read. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows everything. I think there's basically one of three interpretations this could be. Okay, And I'm going to give you these interpretations for what this verse means. Number one, it could mean this. Don't worry about what your heart says. Listen only to God's word. Okay, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So whatever your heart tells us, turn it off. Okay, don't, don't listen to it, don't hear from it. But that can't be true because of what John's going to tell us in the next verse. He's going to say this, if your heart does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. So he can't be telling us that whatever our heart tells us, just don't listen to it. I don't think that's what John is saying because I don't think that's how this thing works. I think God can speak to our heart and our heart can tell us right and proper messages. So I don't think that's a proper interpretation, although that's an easy one to fall into. Number two, he could be saying this. If your heart does condemn you, you're in trouble. Because God's standard is higher than your own heart's standard. So if you can't even pass the bar of your own heart, God knows the whole picture, and you're even further condemned. Yes, he could be saying that. And I think to some degree, he is saying that. I think he's saying, listen, your heart is not the standard. God and God's word are the standard. But if your heart condemns you, that's a sign that things aren't going well. In all reality, I think the best interpretation is this, as I've wrestled with it. If you feel condemned by your own heart, which we do many times in the Christian life, that's important because the heart should be aligned to God. But even then, even when you get messages from your own heart, from your own brain, we need to validate that because God is the author of reassurance. We should take those messages, those thoughts, those struggles to him, take those doubts and let him sort them out because we don't need to know from a parent or a friend or from our own heart. We need to know from God if we actually belong to him and to his son, Jesus Christ. Those validations should come directly from God. I think that's what John is trying to pull out. So does true reassurance come from the world? No, of course. They love to condemn Christians. Does it come from the devil? No, certainly not. He loves to accuse Christians. Does reassurance come from our own heart? It can, but it's also not a reliable source of our reassurance. Who is the only one who can reassure us? It is God himself. Through his word, through his holy scripture, through prayer, we must get that reassurance and we must get it directly from God because it is a gift to our soul. And I told you, sometimes the heart can tell you negative things. And if you're one of those pessimistic people and really harsh on yourself, that's often what will happen. No matter how on track you are, biblically, spiritually, the heart will say the opposite. You're wicked, you're nothing, you're off track, you're a liar, you're a hypocrite. And I know this because I've been there. No matter how on track I tried to be, I kept hearing all the negative messages beating me down and beating me down to get me to quit. But that's not the only thing the heart tells you, is it? The heart also loves to tell flattery and loves to say to you, you're fine, look how great you are, look at that one thing you did a few days ago. And it likes to, to round up a little bit and go, you're fine, don't look at it. And that's the problem with trusting the heart. And if you've ever heard that mantra in the world, follow your heart. I would say that's not the best piece of advice you can find because your heart can be led astray by a, very, uh, a, a bunch of different variables. I would say instead, we need to get our reassurance and our validation from God and God alone. The question for us today is, can we actually know? Can we actually know we belong to God? I mean, can we really know 100% be of certainty 
that we belong to God, that he is our father, that we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have eternal hope? Can we actually know for certain? Because there's a lot of the world, even the religious world, who says, not a chance. We'll do our best here, but at the end of the day, the judgment day is going to tell us everything. So in this day, you just live on edge, you live on that fence, and you'll find out in the last day. And I don't think that's true because 1 John has this written all over it. And all we need to do is remind ourselves of what John has told us. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We can be certain that we belong to Jesus by the validation that we keep his commandments. Now again, he's not saying that's how you receive salvation. That's not what John is saying because he's talking to Christians. He's saying the way that you know that you belong to Jesus Christ is by the fact that you try and strive to follow him and obey him and serve him in the proper way. Because why would anyone else do that? The world doesn't do that. The world does not try to line up behind Jesus Christ and do what Jesus said. So the only person who would do that is someone who is of him. He said in verse 6 of chapter 2, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Your life should start to look like Jesus' life. Your speech, your actions should start to look like Jesus' speech and actions. Because when they are, it's a validation for you that you are in him. Because only those who are in him can walk and speak and act like Jesus Christ. He says in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we claim to. No, he says, because we love the brothers. And he's, he's setting a theme before us, going, here are your validations. If you want to know that you belong to Jesus Christ, you keep his commandments, you walk in the same manner that Jesus did, and you love your brothers. In verse 16, he said something very similar. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And the end of the verse goes, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John wants us to have all the validations that we need. Because validations will get us to reassurance. And reassurance will change our life. Reassurance will be the gift of gifts. Once we have reassurance, we will have everything we need. And I know that because I remember the day that I went from doubts to assurance. It changed my life. I was 26 years old. I was in despair. I couldn't believe how bad my life was going, how bad of a mess I had made of my own life. And then God gave me this reassurance. And it changed my life. I woke up that day, spiritually speaking, and I said to God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Wherever you go, I will follow. Because you love me. And because I know that you love me. And because I know that I'm of the truth. And because I know that I'm in Jesus Christ. I will go anywhere you ask me to, God. It changed my life because of this reassurance. And I believe John wants us to have that. And at the end of the book of 1 John, in chapter 5, he says this verse, these things, the entire book, chapters 1 through 5, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Don't you want to know that? I want to know that. I want to know that it's mine, that I have it, that it's secure, that it's there from now until eternity. I need that reassurance, and I believe you do as well. So John is saying, listen, the whole book is about that. That's what the whole book is about. I'm trying to grant you that reassurance that you desperately need, that you belong to him and he belongs to you. So listen to what I'm telling you today. When I say things like obey the commandments and love your brothers, I'm not telling you to do things that are burdening your life. I'm trying to give you the reassurance that you need, that you belong to Jesus. And what a gift it is to know that we belong to Jesus. What a gift. If I could give anyone a gift that I love, it would be that. In fact, I've given my life to do that very thing, to give people that assurance that Jesus loves them and that they can belong to him. Because on the last day, that's all that matters. You know that, right? Regardless of how it plays out, and there's a lot of different opinions on how the end times are going to play out, the only thing that matters on the last day is who are you with? Are you with Team Truth, Team Jesus, Team Christ? Are you with God, or are you against God? And if you're against God, you will be destroyed. And if you're with God, you will reign forever and ever and ever. That is our bottom line, to know that and to make 
others have that same peace. Because I can't give you any more peace than to put your head on the pillow at night of God's love. It'll change your life. No matter how the day goes, no matter how the day plays out, no matter how many valleys are in your day or in your life, no matter how many people you lose, no matter how many people turn against you, if you lay your head on the pillow at night and that pillow is God's love, you'll have hope, you'll have peace, you'll have courage, and it'll change your life. And that's what, God, that's what John is trying to draw out. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our heart does not condemn us, does not tell us we're guilty, then we have confidence before God. And that confidence is, again, is what John is trying to bring out. Because there's no pillow so soft as a clear conscience. I don't know exactly who wrote that, but I think that's a beautiful quote, although I don't think it goes far enough. A clear conscience is a good thing, and I, I advise all of us to have that clear conscience. But again, even the conscience can lie to you. Even the conscience can flatter you. Even the conscience can tell you something that isn't accurate. I would say there's no pillow so soft as true biblical reassurance from God. Once you have that, it'll change your life. Now, I've won a couple of awards. In fact, I think only two. You guys ever won an award for something, something weird? Uh, when I was in... Uh, grade school, we had this thing called a Wana Grand Prix. I think I told you the story. And I think that's the exact trophy. Um, I won second place for design for a car that I didn't even make. Um, my uncle and my dad made it, put my name on it, and I won a trophy. And I was really excited to have that trophy, put it up, and I really had nothing to do with making that car. But I won an award. In 2009, I won the Outstanding Young Religious Leader Award from a group called the JCs in Michigan. And I went to a banquet and met Miss Michigan. Pretty cool, right? It wasn't that cool. Um, I haven't won many awards in this life. I, I haven't. I haven't been one of those guys that has stacks and stacks of trophies. Um, but I know there's one award and there's one thing that I desperately want in this life. Because it won't take much to convince you that we live in a culture of despair. They say the suicide rates, the anxiety rates are the highest they've ever been. People are struggling. People are in darkness. People are questioning who they are, why they're here, if they have any value, have any purpose. Does anyone love them? And John is trying to give us that by telling us that we have God's love. Not just love. We have God's love. We can be assured that God loves us, that no matter what happens to us in this world, God loves us, and God's going to bring us with him. And that right there is hope that changes your life, and this is the hope that this world desperately needs. They don't need to be tweaked and modified. They don't need counseling and therapy. They need the gospel. They don't need a Band-Aid because they have a severed artery. They need the gospel. The gospel can change them. The gospel can heal them. The gospel can make them brand new, just like it has for us. And that simple reassurance is what makes that take place. John says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And that's the goal, is for our heart to align with the mind of God and so that our heart is telling us the same messages that the Word of God is stating. The two are in sync. So that our heart is going, you're on track. You're not perfect, but you're on track. Keep going. Keep moving in that direction. You're going the right way. Stay where you are. Go forward. You're, right, you're on the right team. And I'm going to help us understand this a little bit because I've, I've really wrestled with this concept. Because you, there's a big debate in Christian circles whether or not you can lose your salvation. And I'm not going to give you that answer today because I don't need to. Because I'm going to explain it a different way. I believe salvation is a free gift based on the merits of Jesus Christ, it's given by grace and faith through Jesus. It's nothing we earn. It's nothing we could muster up. It's nothing we could pay for. It's given to us out of God's free love. And I think it's static. Once you have it, you have it. It's permanent. But I will say this. God has built this system. He has built this system, and I think it's a beautiful system once you understand it, of this idea of assurance and doubt. Because this does ebb and flow. It does. It absolutely does. And I believe it's on purpose that it does. Because let's say over here, you start your Christian journey, okay? Zeal is high. 
hunger is high, you're willing to do anything for the Lord, you're, will, you're learning obedience, you're learning how to, how to serve the Lord correctly, and things are, are great. But then you hit a little dip, right? And we've all hit that dip. And now you're not sure. Now, did it actually happen? Did it actually take place? Was that a real thing that actually took place? Now I'm back in the same old sins. I'm with the same old group. And you face those doubts. And then you rebound a little bit, go back up, and it looks like a heart rhythm your whole life, right? Why does God build it this way? Why does God allow it this way? Because our salvation is not coming and going. It, I believe scripturally our salvation, once we have it, we have it. It does not come and go, okay? We don't need our hands stamped. When we have salvation, we have it. It's a free gift from God. But our assurance does ebb and flow. How does it ebb and flow? It ebbs and flows based on our obedience to Jesus. And God did it that way because if God assured us while we're down here and we felt good about ourselves, we felt confident about our eternal destination, what would happen while we're down here? Guess where we'd stay? We'd stay down. We wouldn't try to get better. We wouldn't try to improve. We wouldn't try to correct anything in our life. So guess what God does when we're struggling with obedience and we're struggling with faithfulness? He allows that assurance to come down. And that's a gift from him. Because guess what happens when that, when that takes place? We run to God. God, I feel icky. I feel horrible. I know what I've done. I know how I've been acting lately. I don't want this. And we go to God and guess what happens? God restores us. God forgives us. God brings us back to him because he loves to restore those who are humble who come to him with a contrite heart and say, God, I need you. Just like at the beginning, I needed you. I need you today. And God sends that assurance way up again by that forgiveness. Because he always wants us up here. He always wants us with Christ. And the only way we can have assurance is when we're looking to Jesus. The only way we can have assurance of our salvation is when we're near Jesus. If we're feeling assurance when we're away from Jesus, you're feeling assurance from the wrong person. There's someone who's trying to give you a forgery assurance. Because if, he, if you feel assured down here, the devil's got you right where he wants you. Because you're nowhere near Jesus. And that's a dangerous place to be. But God built it so that we have assurance up here because that is right where we need to be. Right behind our Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that's clear to you. I'm not going to say our salvation is coming and going. I don't believe that it is. But I, even now as a pastor, I struggle sometimes with doubts. And when that happens, I am typically away from Christ in some part of my life. And that's something I need to correct. Then I go to God, I, I, forget, I confess my sins, he forgives me, and the assurance is restored. And even this, if we struggle with this concept of going up and down, bouncing around like a pinball, God wants us to understand we don't have to live that way. Because there are promises all over the word of God that help us with this concept. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the writer says, let us then with confidence, notice the language, because God loves us, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What happens if you're doubting? What happens if you're struggling? Is that it? Does God lo not love me anymore? Is it over? No, that's when exactly when you should go to God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, when you feel like you shouldn't read scripture or you don't want to read scripture, that's exactly when you should read scripture. When you feel like you can't pray and you don't want to pray, that's exactly when you should pray. You should draw unto the one who can help you and sustain you. And God wants us to know that even when we're struggling with doubt, he wants to help us. He wants us to have that assurance. That's why 1 John is written, so that we don't have to struggle with that doubt anymore. And uh, there's a silly illustration of what we are before assurance and what we look like after we have reassurance. <laughs> and even though that's a silly illustration, I think it does make a mark for what can happen once we have that assurance from God. It'll change our life. And we're going to end on something, I hope, very powerful because what is the point of reassurance? Someone could even ask that question. Am I just reassured for the sake of reassurance? No, it's for the sake of something quite different. But we must have this reassurance. And we must have it constantly. If that reassurance is up and down, we're going to be up and down. Our effectiveness is going to be up and down. Our joy is going to be up and down, right? We're going to be just like the world. Valleys, mountains, up and down, like a roller coaster. And that, that's not how God wants us to live. God wants us to be steady climbing this mountain. See? Mountain illustration. And, <laughs> North Country Church. And God wants us to, to get to that place where we are confidently following Jesus. We have the hope, confidence, and courage that we need We've talked about the author of reassurance and the reward of reassurance. Let's now finish on the product 
of reassurance. Because John says this. And, if that wasn't enough, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Do you notice the promise? There's no qualifiers to that. We ask what we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And that right there is another validation. John is not saying you earn God's love through obeying him. He's saying you know you have God's love when you obey him. Do you notice the difference? When you obey, you clearly belong to God. And so he wants you to obey because he wants you to have that reassurance. And I brought up my family before. And my family is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given me. But they are on a different level, a different scale than even my church body. I can, did I cut someone's head off there? No, I, I include Janine. I'm talking about my children. Janine is a blessing as well. You know what? So I don't get any letters this week. I'll cut my head off. I know how you guys work. Um, it's the biggest blessing that God has given me, these children, this beautiful wife of mine, because they, they are on a different level. I will give them all the love that I have. Now, for church people, because I'm one person, I can't get to everyone's needs at all times. I have to prioritize. I have to make meetings. I have to get schedules. But if, a wife, if my wife calls me, I answer that call. If my son comes to me and says, Daddy, I need your help, I listen to that son or, the, or that daughter because I love them. They are on a whole different level of my love. I've heard these phrases, mi casa, su casa. That's actually true for my children. My house is their house. And maybe not anything you want, but definitely anything you need, you got it. Remember that song? Anything you need, you got it. That, that's what I give to my family. I give them all of my love, every affection, every desire, every resource that I have belongs to my children. And you notice what the Word of God says about us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John's the one that taught us that. That we have all of God's affection, all of God's resources, all of God's blessings, because we're his children. It's that simple. We belong to God. He belongs to us. Therefore, whatever is his is ours. So if we need it, come ask for it and we will receive it. That's what John is telling us. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. That is a promise. You can take it to the bank because we do or we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And you notice there, it's, you could take that the wrong way. Go, literally, I can ask for anything. Anything? I can ask him for a brand new car? Well, that's not really how it works because you notice the rest of the verse. Because we keep his commandments. So the two are aligned. God will give you everything you want, everything you need that aligns with his will. So I'm not one of those people that says, hey, listen, name it and claim it. You know, you want a car, you ask God for a car, it'll be in your driveway today. That's not really how that works. But if you need anything to follow Jesus Christ, and I mean anything, if you need anything to, to operate according to his will, and I mean anything, you can go to God and ask, and he will give it to you because you are his children. But this idea of commandments is all over the scripture, and it's very, very important, not just for God, but also for us, so that we have that validation. Remember King Solomon, he wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, and then he summarized the whole book in one verse. He says, now all has been heard. Hear the conclusion of the matter. It's very simple. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. Christianity, sometimes we get so burdened, so bogged down with all the things we need to do. And Solomon says, it's honestly quite simple. Fear God and do what pleases him. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God, line up right behind Jesus and go as Jesus goes. It's that simple. And when we do that, we have all the validations and assurance that God loves us. And Jesus says, even more than that, that's how you validate your love for me. Because it's not just a gift to receive God's love, is it? It's also a gift to be able to love the same Lord that loved us. Don't you think that's a gift? For me to be able to offer gifts and sacrifices and worship to the same one who died for me. That's such a privilege. Because who am I to be able to give love back to the Savior? But Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to give you exactly what I'm looking for. And that way you can love me. So John finish, finishes this passage today by, by not leaving us hanging because he said, keep his commandments. And now he says, and this is his commandment. And it's twofold. Number one, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, which most of you have in this room. That's step one. And number two, that John is going to continue to bring up, love one another just as he has commanded us. Two 
two-way street. You need the love of God, and you need to show the love of God. You need his love, and you need to display his love. That is when you have your assurance, your reassurance at the peak of the mountain. When you have his love, and you're seeing his love, and you're able to display that love to others. That is when your reassurance is at an all-time high. And quite simply, the Christian life is all about Jesus. From beginning to end. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the last. I trust in you, Jesus. And I also desire to love like you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. You're my Savior. You're my hope. You're my mercy. You're my salvation. You're my forgiveness. But I also need to follow you and practice what you've taught. And our reassurance comes from following him lining right up behind him and saying, Jesus, as you go, I will go because where you are is where I want to be for the rest of eternity. I want to be where you are now and I want to be where you are later. Wherever Jesus is is where I want to be. But we asked this question and let's finish on this today. What's the point? What's the point of reassurance? Just so we could have it, like a trophy, you put it on your shelf and go there, I'm, I'm loved. I know where I'm going. Is that the point of reassurance? Is that why John is giving us reassurance? Just so we feel good? So that we stay in bed all day and do whatever we want and go, it doesn't matter what happens from now on to the end of my life. I am God's and he is mine. No, I don't think that's the point. Because what has been the context of this whole book besides reassurance? Love. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And what does assurance do more than anything? It gives us courage. It gives us courage. In a world that is fraught with despair and doubts and fears and worry and anxiety and people hating you, when you know you have the love of God in the bank, it's yours, it's immovable, it's steadfast. You become a warrior for Jesus Christ. You pick up your sword, you enter the battle, and you say, I am going to do your will at all costs. Because no matter what happens on that battlefield, I am yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. And that's happened in my life in the mid-20s. I, I picked up my sword. I'd never picked up my sword before. I just always wanted to know, God, do you love me? God, do you love me? Okay, good, because I'm going to go back to my life. And when I really found God's love, God said, pick up your sword, Todd. Enter the battle, Todd. Do my will, Todd. And I said, I will, as long as you love me. As long as I'm yours, as long as you're mine, I will do whatever you want for the rest of my life. You become courageous. And all, this, all the beautiful characters in Scripture, that's how their lives make sense. They're not stronger than us. They're not wiser than us. They're common people. In fact, they're less than common. They're ordinary people. Maybe even the lowest of the low. But somehow they were courageous, bold, confident, world-changing people. How is that possible? They knew that God loved them and he loved, or he loved them and they loved him. And my favorite verse I told you is Acts 4.13 and it's talking about Peter and John. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary people, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. How are Peter and John this courageous they're fishermen. They're nobodies. We know their parents. How are they doing what they do? How did Peter just get up and preach that sermon? I don't understand it. And the conclusion was very simple. Jesus loves me and I love him. That's how. I'm courageous. I'm bold. I'm confident in a way that the world can't even understand because I have his love and that's all that I need. And therefore, we can take that love and we can display it to others. So let's summarize before we close today. The author of reassurance is Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It always has been Jesus. To find that reassurance, we must go directly to Jesus and we must live in the validations that he gives us. Number two, the reward of reassurance is having confidence that we belong to God and even death cannot frighten us. And when you become that kind of courage, you are on a different level of courage than the world has ever witnessed. Number three, the product of reassurance is obeying God's commandments through following the pattern of Jesus because when you're reassured, you're confident. And when you're confident, you're courageous. And when you're courageous, you are an automatic weapon of mass construction for the Lord and his kingdom. You can do nearly anything for God. 
We answer this question every time we go through a lesson in 1 John, something that is for God's glory and something that is for our benefit. We have to believe that God is glorified when we realize that without his love, we have nothing. I can do nothing without God's love. I am weak, I am feeble, I am nothing. But when I have God's love, I can do all things. It's a game changer. It has changed my life, and I know it's changed many lives in this room as well. But it also benefits us because we are benefited when we find the gift of reassurance that God provides us through Jesus. Because in a land of despair and hopelessness and suicidal thoughts, we can have courage and confidence. And it doesn't make any sense. And it shouldn't to the world, but it should to us because we know the author of reassurance. Reassurance gives peace to the soul to not be anxious, and it absolutely does. It gives confidence to the soul to go to God when we need him, because we do every day. And it gives courage to the soul to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And it's all because God loves us. Proverbs 18 says, 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. When you're in that tower, you fear nothing. You fear nothing because you're in the strong tower. The enemy can't get you. The weather can't get you. Your own doubts and heart can't get you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Our application today before we close is a reassured heart changes everything. I absolutely believe that it does. Let us not stop short until we are reassured that we belong to God because the proof and validation of following Jesus is all over our life. Don't assume. Don't round up. Find the validations because the validations will bring this reassurance and we will change the world when we have it. Would you bow and pray with me? Father in heaven, you love us deeply. Your love is displayed all over the scriptures, Father, but it's also displayed all over our lives. You want us to know that your love is secure. And you want us to know that, Father, because you have something tremendous for us to do. You want us to change the world. You want us to take the gospel to the, to the nations. You want us to love our neighbors who are in need. And the only way we can do that, Father, is with courage and confidence. And the only way we can find that courage and confidence is through reassurance. Father, thank you for this lesson today. I pray for all of my church members that they would find that reassurance that we all desperately need. They'd find it from you directly and that you would make Crossroads Church a beacon of light, a beacon of hope in this community that desperately needs to see hope and desperately needs to see light. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand one more time.